Hello and welcome and Happy New Year to everyone. So uh, it's uh, particularly miserable outside. But anyway, we've got someone who's going to brighten everything up for us. It's uh, Dr. Claire Minchel, who is a re rehabilitation and conditioning specialist. So Claire, thank you for joining on. Is We don't normally share the date, but it's the 2nd of January. It's hammering it down outside. So thank it's, you for, oh, for, well, for joining it's a me. Big, a big... Uh... A big ask to bright, brighten up everybody's demeanour. <laughs> yeah, it's it is pretty miserable outside, but uh, uh, my is, pleasure it, to join you. <laughs> well, I, I remember like in our communication before Christmas, and it was like actually, I think I'm going to need some motivation on on like this, this first day back in. So yeah, thank you for that. Get so in uh, the diary. <laughs> get get it, it in the yeah. diary. We're doing it. It's fixed. Um, so yeah, so we, we were just talking just before I put the re recording on. So how do you find it when you're actually taking some downtime over Christmas? Yeah, as we were discussing, it's, it's pretty hard, isn't it, when you when you work for yourself? It, the, there's always something there. It's always there. Um, never really properly clock out, do you? And then you, if you do get the downtime, which is quite rare, that's when you start thinking about other things. I'm sure you're the, the same. Like you're uh, kind of firefighting a lot of the time when you're fully kind of in, in it, <laughs> in operation, and then that downtime, if you get enough of it, then you start to develop those. I certainly do. I'm sure others do as well. You start to develop the ideas. And um, so it's really important to do it, um, but being actually being able to to uh, to craft that that time, that downtime in um, is, is, a, is a challenge. But um, yeah, I, I, this, this time I said I'd, I'd definitely give myself a week off um, which I did, and as I was just saying, there it's kind of almost that permission. <laughs> See, there's a, a, a less less guilt <laughs> associated with with not working. Yeah, no, well, no, I think it is really important, and that's actually one of my things for this year is to actually give yourself some time because no one really contact if they contact you over Christmas, it's either really good or it's really bad. So it's like trying to you don't get much. Please let it be the lottery. <laughs> <laughs> So I think it is it is interesting, but to try and give yourself that time when you are firefighting, as you, as you mentioned there, it, it's challenging when you're trying to always do things. But that is one of my things this year is actually mm. I'm going to just allocate some time where you're working, but you're trying to be creative and, and give yourself some mm, structure for it, doing yeah. that. It's wise, wise. Mm. How about you? What any any particular things that you've you got planned for 2024 in oh, terms of resolutions? Lots. No, I don't. I don't make resolutions um, um, just because. Well, I've never really made resolutions. I think you know, if you're going to do something, stick to it and and do it whenever it's appropriate. So, um, but yeah, in terms of twenty twenty four, yeah, lots and lots on. I've I've also tried as well to be a little bit more savvy. I think with my my time, as you were just alluding to there. Um, I find it difficult to say no to things. Uh, and I, I also think probably I've got this, um, uh, what's the word, I suppose? Um, well, maybe I overestimate how much I can I can do to the, you know, the standards that I want to do them. So, you know, I think probably, um, yeah, I've, I've backed off a little bit uh, in terms of, of commitments this this year just so that I can build the things that I want to so we're talking about being creative so I've got another course coming online I need to spend a you know 
some really good time to uh, to develop that and produce that. And then there's the other company joint approach that we're kind of we're raising for uh, in a few days time. It goes live. Um, and yeah, just all the other stuff, training and uh, just been appointed visiting professor at Leeds Beckett University as well. So there's other stuff. And so, yeah, <laughs> just trying to be a little bit more more savvy. Lots, still lots on, on the books and lots to do, which I'm, I'm really uh, you know, grateful for and I'm really humbled um, to be able to do this. But, yeah, thinking ahead. So kind of mapping out, for example, in-person courses. How many of those can I, you know, do I want to commit to throughout the year and to enable these other things to happen? So, um, yeah, I mean, a short answer, a lot, lots on the books, <laughs> lots to come. Um, but hopefully be able to uh, you know, craft it in a way that I, I feel a little bit more, uh like i'm on top of it a little bit more yeah if you if you do that then let me know how you've done it because that, that sounds <laughs> that sounds good and also how are you going to what's your criteria for, for things you're going to say no to then um so that's a good question that's a really good question so the, the one is timing so um i've i've said um and committed to so far uh, this year for in-person courses. Yeah, I absolutely love running in-person courses. Um, I love meeting up with people um, and particularly, you know, those that want to do the the SNCs type stuff in rehab. That's what I'm really excited about. So, the, you know, it's, it's a fantastic uh, experience. I'm you know, humbled to be able to travel all over to do that. But it but it is quite time consuming, particularly with uh, engagements abroad. Um, so. I've committed to one a month for that, um, such that it gives me enough time to be able to do other things with, within within that month. So timing is one thing, and how much time it takes out of my, you know, for anything, um, conference in, invitations, um, any any part of work, you know, how much time it's taking. And then certainly, I think the first thing really actually is, as again many people will be the same I'm sure you get lots of invitations from lots of places is it something that I feel like I can do a good job at is this a right fit for me and for them um, and so you know if, if I feel like that's possibly out of my scope of expertise then you know that's something I'll, I'll certainly flag up um, it's you know it's, it's got to be worth everybody's while and I, I don't want to be stood there talking about things that I know I know uh, nothing or the other people know more about them than I do. So certainly that and then time and then uh, resource as well. So whether that be human resource or financial resource and, you know, you do have to balance the books as well. So that income, you can input, output. Uh, and also, um, you know, I do a lot of free stuff as well. So kind of, um, you know, to help help people out and make sure that that's still on, on the books. So it's not that everything has to be. I don't know, crazy kind of uh, in terms of fiscal benefit. Um, it, yeah, there isn't <laughs> there isn't a hard and fast answer to that. It's a good good question, but yeah, time whether or not it's it's within my white my wheelhouse and um, yeah, what the yeah, I suppose that input output equation is for for everybody. Again, yeah. I don't know if I, I, I've nailed that either yet, but trying. 
you know it's difficult because i know that that's that's the question i get asked from some of the people i work with that kind of yeah. non-exec people um, in the company is like you get asked that all the time it's like yeah what are you going to say no to this year and what is the criteria because it's it's great having opportunities but then when you've got so many and you're you're not you maybe can't fulfill them as much as you 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 would like to or you can't do them to the to the right level so it's it's, it's as much for me to get me back into the mindset of saying actually no we've, mm. we've got a plan we know what we're doing and let's let's stick to it we build, we've done it this plan for a reason and, and how you do it but yeah it's, it's it's never easy when you want to do things however so I've got that some of the guys in the team are really good at just being like giving them permission to say no to me saying doing some of these things because otherwise it's yeah you could do everything well. yeah 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 Mm. being aware of that as well how you're influencing other people um is a you know a good point too um yeah it's a it's a a tough one it's a tough one and I guess as well in those moments of uh clarity kind of just come back to what am I doing everything for what's the purpose what do I really want to be able to affect to change to help um and you know if it's not aligned to that then I'm sorry probably it's, it's it's a no um and there's other things as well, you know, you get um, less genuine, should I say, kind of inquiries and, and asks where, um, it's funny, I was having a conversation with a good friend of mine um, over over Christmas who, uh, he works for himself as well, he runs um, a really successful garage and um, he was saying, I think everybody should... Um, have a go at being self-employed for a couple of months just to understand um, what it is and what's involved in that. So just, and again, I'm sure you absolutely could could uh, echo this, but the time it takes to respond to a, an ask, an inquiry, can you do X, Y, and Z? Um, and you think, oh, that, that sounds really good. You know, yeah, you, you spend the time putting together maybe a package, uh, I had one very recently, and I, I won't see from from where, but quite a, a large institution uh, with a significant ask, um, which took a lot of time to put together. Contacted my uh, web developer because it involved setting up a, a separate educational kind of arm to the platform for just bespoke to them, and all these kind of things. And you have all these levels of meetings, and then at the end, there's a like a flat line afterwards where you've spent all that time and effort, which is, you know, it's, it's money, it's your time, you know, and there's, there's no comeback. So um, those trying to identify those up front is a, is a, a helpful strategy as well, because if you're not, if you've never been in, in self-employment or you've never um, been, I suppose, charged with your, your, your own income um, generation from scratch, not a salary, then you start to realise, or you wouldn't realise the the work that might go into things that that detracts from other things that that you know has been. Uh, if you run your own companies, what what the the consequence would that be if it would be if it didn't come off? So um, yeah, no, it is. I think it is. Like I can definitely empathise with that, and it's really it's annoying, isn't it? Sometimes you're like. It is. You're trying to move yourself away from it because normally it's like. We're, we're, with the public sector whether it's you know you know universities nhs they're massive operations and they're doing a load of other things and they're performing a function in it but to you it's like personal isn't it a lot of the time and trying to remove yourself from that can be quite difficult it's like well i've just done all this 
for for nothing you don't even you give us like a, a one sentence response yeah no we're not doing that or something and it's yeah it is frustrating so and I can yeah. definitely definitely <laughs> empathize with that one yeah for sure and and it's I think it's it's having your eyes wide open to it so the more you do it the more you you're in this arena the the wiser you become to that and, and dealing with the NHS for example that's a that's a another entity in itself of which through my other company joint approach we've had you know, significant uh, interactions with meetings, with proposals, etc. Um, and you know, we we understand the different levels of hierarchy, the different um, metrics at different levels of hierarchy, the um, time course, as you know, you're kind of from to, to getting a uh, a yes maybe or a no, or uh, the different levels of uh, financial um, sign off that people can. Oh, it's just a is a is a minefield. Um, so it's it's having that that knowledge as well to okay, we will do this, and it's a a calculated, um, I suppose, investment really, isn't it? A calculated investment. We'll go ahead and and kind of put all these things together, um, or not, because we haven't got that. It, it will never translate, or um, for whatever reasons. But yeah, I think that's something that's. Uh, you know, we've been self-employed. I've learned a lot about um, over the past I don't know, ten or so so years, and trying to identify. Not that you don't want to be helpful, you really, really do. But ultimately, if you <clears throat> that person's not able to affect, and it's and it's usually the case, isn't it? That inquiry that comes in, if it's a a, a big thing, um, we'd really like to do X, Y, and Z. Perfect. We'd love to do that with you. However, that sign-off comes from however many echelons above them um, and we'll do everything we can to support you to get that but uh, yeah <laughs> it's a challenging one <laughs> maybe I'll, I'll pause there <laughs> yeah well no it is I, I get it it's exactly right it's like well yeah but we I need to do this bit of it as in them and then it's above me or it's out of my hands and it's like you can't it's difficult to say well no we need this answer because you know they can't give it and it's mm. Yeah. So he's trying to, it is trying to get the criteria as specific as you can and say, look, we're happy to do it. And then if you lose it, you win it, whatever it is, you can yeah. sort of accept that. But then yeah. it's, I really it's do yes, emphasise as well at that, that, you know, clinician level, if we're talking kind of NHS-esque type um, uh, levels where the clinician wants to do the best for the patient um, and they have their hands tied so so tightly in some circumstances that I feel their frustrations as well. So they they want to help. Um, I suppose is amplified there. So it's just a tough one. It's a tough one um, because ultimately those individuals and us want to help patients. Um, and when you feel like you're uh, perhaps from some sometimes for silly reason not not permitted to do so, it's challenging <laughs> and I feel I feel how, how others feel you know being in that delivering that care or not being able to deliver that care for example mm, yeah and then how have you found that then from so you're self-employed but clinical background and you know, doing that as well how did you find that transition or in terms of being able to you've got a charge for your time you've got a lot of these offers how did you find that yeah well that that was the a big a big learning curve. So um, I'm not a clinician, actually. So my 
um, background is initially sports science, then exercise science and rehabilitation, uh, PhD, and academic and research, all with a clinical emphasis, so working with patients. Um, but I was in a salaried position, so um, I was working within an uh, academic institution or um, uh, I left um, uh, Nottingham Trent University and went and led a collaboration in Scotland uh, between um, two universities in the trauma and orthopaedic department there. So I had a little bit more freedom, but still um, I was salaried. So that transition going from not being salaried to then, okay, no money coming in, what, what are you going to do? Um, obviously, you've got plans and ideas and things you want to affect and change uh, and put in place to earn money. But that conversation around money, certainly the conversations I've had with, with other friends and colleagues who have been academics in the past, it can be really prickly. And we don't, we don't talk very much about salaries and money and stuff like that in England anyway. They were quite reserved. So that, that, was, that was a tough, um, a tough one, to be fair. Uh, to have those conversations about remuneration and what things might cost, figuring out as well what what the value of certain things were and um, my time. Um, so to be to be honest with you, I found it difficult initially um, having the the financial conversations. Now it's just a part of the the the, the exchange and and you kind of learn that. But um, initially, yeah, very. Yeah, very different. Certainly, as well in the in the area of healthcare, as well. So it it becomes maybe perhaps even more could when you know again when you are talking with um, friends and colleagues who have been um, salaried physios or doctors or whatever. Um, you're in a position where you're there because you want to help people, and then you're asking. You know, there's a there's a, a financial element to it. You know, it, it just sometimes feels a bit prickly, doesn't it? Yeah, no, it does. And it, I think you're right. I think in this country, I think the combination of this country is quite reserved when it comes to sales. What, you know, what a, who isn't in sales? Everyone's doing some sort of selling in whatever they're doing because you, you, everyone's getting paid or they, hopefully they are. And then I think is it the healthcare piece is is a it is a an interesting bridge of like when we've worked with external sales companies that come into us, it's like, I just, it doesn't feel right with what they would say this is what you mm. should be doing with speaking to people it's like mm, it just doesn't feel quite right when you're speaking to clinicians about what you know when they're going to be speaking to patients because you're trying mm. to help them with help drive yeah. them forward and like how do you everyone needs money to grow and invest and develop and give better service <laughs> yeah well no exactly so yeah, it is. It's, it's 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 a fine balancing act. And I did a, did one of these with a guy called Frank Benedetto, who's American, and it, I it's so different. Like him, it's really. I think some of his stuff is like yeah, great. And I was I think other pieces of his like it's so contradictory, particularly to like the NHS way of doing things. And I think mm. we're at a real interesting crossroads in private healthcare. We've seen over the last three or four years it's just exploding but it's yeah. it's still at that point where it's just it's different um so what are your thoughts on on like the work where like that healthcare piece is going at the moment <laughs> boom <laughs> <laughs> uh oh i don't know honestly what you're saying about kind of private healthcare expanding i think that's 
a good chunk of that is because the NHS is is you know it's drowning, isn't it? You know the this the, that conversation could go on forever. You know all all, all the things that that uh, uh, need to be improved and all the deficiencies. And if you think about the staff and how the staff are, are uh, at their wits end and work to the bone, um, I honestly don't know. I honestly don't know. I feel like. Some days, I, I, you know, I hope that it's, um, you know, the NHS is um, recoverable. But I'm so glad I'm not in charge of, of anything to do with 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 affecting that, because where would you even start? There's such, you know, when you work within the NHS, of which I have done, and then you also look at <clears throat> supplying to the NHS, so for example, joint approach. You can see all the layers of of um, organisational, and I wouldn't just say it's a hierarchy. It spins off as well. So you've got people kind of going up the chain, but also you then need to go out the chain to you know um, affect change on on some fairly standard, simple things potentially at a clinical level, um, and you can see that there is a lot of potentially unnecessary steps um, because you know that, for example, putting together a 40-page document, um, nobody's going to look at it, right? But the time and effort required to put that together, but also then somebody has compiled that for a good reason. It's just, it feels like um, there's... there's uh, Yeah, struggling, <laughs> struggling to describe it. I think frustration, frustration is is a is a good word. I think to describe how I feel uh, about it. But in terms of its being able to be, res, you know, resurrected to what it was, I think we're potentially struggling a lot. Um, it's broken, and the people in it have been broken. Um, and I just, you know, I, I feel for them. Um, but I, I. I I don't know. I hope that we can, we can we can um, you know put in place what's needed. Um, and then in terms of the, the private healthcare, people are investing in private healthcare because they can't get you know not everybody, but they can't get seen on the NHS. So again, just look some of the data from our joint approach program, um, some of that qualitative analysis. People have done that, so they've they've gone privately for their joint replacements or to get clinician appointments because. Um, the weights have been so so great, and you can you know you can see that. Um, so it, it's it's no wonder that private healthcare is expanding. Um, but what <laughs> what to do? I'm not a politician uh, or a health economist, um, so I don't know. What do you think? Uh, I, I agree with you. It is a really challenging one because I've had so many amazing experiences with the NHS for me personally Absolutely. getting treatment, like quite a recent one where it was everything that was done, like could not have been better. It was like dermolo dermatological thing. It was like yeah. straight in, saw top uh, professor, yeah. amazing. It was literally, I mean, this coincidence, but it's literally 10 minutes walk from my house. Go there. Everything was just brilliant. Like just, yeah. just, just really, really impressive. And you just think, what an incredible service that you've been able to experience at yeah. no charge. The GP bit wasn't great. It took me about 30, 30 Q line at the GP. Um, 
But other than that, it was absolutely brilliant. I had another one with that my where I broke my toe playing. Just even A and E at Withenshaw, and I was seen within like five minutes, and was like, yeah, this is this is great. Ah, that's but, excellent. So, yeah. So it's like there's so many really good things. It's just like when you think about outpatient MSK and some of those things, you just think that is just not going to come back now. It's just very unlikely. And so like for us, we've had that shift where we're really trying to support private clinics with like, well, how can we yeah. assist on that? How do we help them invest in the tech that they need to, to do that and the training and so on? So it is, it's, it's been a massive shift in our whole business really over the last four years because of diagnostic ultrasound, shockwave, and, you know, like the, the objective testing kit that we, you and I have discussed. Um, so it, it's exciting and it's just trying to, I think it's going to take a couple of years to find, find its feet of where it goes and I, I agree, I really hope the NHS can stabilise and find where it can really be helpful and then the private sector be able to support and, and, and offset that. Because you think if you go to a lot of private clinics, the prices are so cheap, really, for what you're getting, like for a physio session, 50 mm. quid or whatever it is. It's, like it's not a lot of money when you're looking at other things of yeah. more aesthetic things or cosmetics, like my my fiance when she gets her nails done it's like my god that's that's a load of money or eyebrows which you know then physio it's like well that is really important but the value i don't think has been put on that previously because i think now there's yeah. a good shift to see that there is people really value because you can get seen quickly by really good people and get great treatment mm, yeah i mean i hope i hope it didn't come across that i was in any way bashing the nhs i'm not at all the people within it are, are phenomenal and if anything uh, hopefully it came across that, that again it's uh the irony really the people people are there because they want to help they want to help people and they're in the nhs and they're doing amazing things uh, but yet they are the ones that are suffering because they you know more and more and more burdens placed upon them and then resources are taken away and <laughs> what are we doing here? You know, like these individuals are, uh, are tremendous. And like you see, when, you, when you've got that joined up service as well with with the level of expertise, um, you can't fault it when it works. But but it's like other things are getting in the way of that. Um, no, no, no. It definitely is other things getting in the way of that, of course. Um, but yeah, what to do to solve it? Yeah. No, no, it is. No, it is. I think it is. I agree with you. I was giving two examples for me personally going through it. But when I, I deal with it on a day to day basis through work and you can see a lot of friends that I've got there, you get they get a lot of things knocked out of them because it's yeah. just budgets. But I've been hearing budgets are being horrendous my entire 16 years. There's never been any money, but then there is obviously a lot of money. And it's it's just it does need something happening. So, uh, yeah, hopefully. But we, we will stop there because that, that could be a whole talk on itself. Um, we get quite so yeah, political as well. So. It gets political, I know. Shifty yeah. on. Shifty on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, in terms of you then, so like, how did you get involved? Like, where are you from and how did you get involved in this path? Um, so, um, I, I went to university to do sports science um, because... Um, that's the only thing that I was really interested in. So I did human biology at, at, at A-level, which kind of, uh, that's the thing that I enjoyed most <clears throat> um, out of all the studies that I, I really did, I suppose. Um, so then I went to, you know, and also I was playing lots of sport, obviously. 
Um, so okay, is there a way to, to, to combine the two? Um, I had no idea what I wanted to do beyond beyond that. And um, nobody in my family had been to university before. Um, so I, I kind of I, I went to university, did sports science. I was like, ah, this is this is great. Human physiology. Then I found kinesiology in my third year. And that was that was it, really. That was neuromuscular physiology. That's that's exactly what I want to do. But at the time, like the only jobs available, and this is going back so many years, <clears throat> really were to be a PE teacher, which I didn't want to be a PE teacher or a coach. Um, and I think there might have been one exercise physiologist job in the whole country at that time. So that's, dare I say, 1997 when I graduated, finished my undergraduate degree. <clears throat> but fortunately, uh, at the time, um, there's, there's so much kind of serendipity, I think, right place, right time, um, and also being extremely lucky. Um, within the kinesiology module at my third year, um, this guy came in who I didn't know who he was. He was called Di Reese. He was an orthopedic surgeon at Oswestry. And he came to teach us a little bit about uh, the knee joint. Um, and then I was doing, for my dissertation, stuff to do with EMG and force production and fatigue. Um, and then I started to learn about the ACL and the, you know, the, the epidemic of injuries, ACL injuries in, in team sports, but particularly with females. And then the PhD position came up um, as I was, as I finished um, university, because I had no idea what I wanted to do, applied for a PhD, um, and that was working with Diary. So if anybody's kind of familiar with orthopedics, his name resonates far and wide. I know you can see you smiling there. Um, actually, just just for Chris, he's written his memoirs. He's retired several, you know, many years ago now. Um, they've written his memoirs and like the book is this thick <laughs> and he sent me a copy over Christmas um, so yeah he's such uh, an amazing um, orthopedic surgeon not at all like you assume orthopedic surgeons to be he did not have a, a demigod status at all and he was inclusive he was um, encouraging um, and so I did a PhD with him as my clinical supervisor and um, uh, uh, a guy called Nigel Gleason, who was my um, academic supervisor in neuromuscular physiology. And we wrote, I was uh, writing a, um, a prospective randomized control trial to enhance uh, electromechanical delay rate of force development following ACL reconstruction, which at the time was, you know, looking back, how, how forward thinking that was as a team, not, not just me, uh, we've got 98, 1998, that, that these things are only just starting now to come to a fore on, you know, we managed to get one uh, meta-analysis on rate of force development data uh, just last year or the year before uh, following ACL reconstruction. So it's taken a good while. Um, but anyway, I, I did my PhD with, with, with him um, and uh, the team and it, it was a, like a, a multidisciplinary team. So there was, um, as you know, Andrea Bailey, uh, physio, uh, another physio there as well. Jane, a um, professor in sports medicine, which was my uh, uh, academic supervisor. Two orthopedic surgeons, diary, Simon Roberts, registrars. Um, and we were all there, and us as PhD students and sports scientists, we were all there as this multidisciplinary team. I thought that was normal, right? So you get 
I don't know, some guy from um, some athlete, premiership athlete, um, footballer, Olympic athletes flying in to see him and they get this care and they get the assessments. And I was developing assessments using magnetic stimulation, looking at capacity versus capability. And then you get the farmer who fell off his Land Rover roof and <laughs> trying to chase his cow, uh, ruptured his ACL. And they'd all get the same service. And, you know, it's absolutely phenomenal. Um, so phenomenal, I decided to rupture my own ACL <laughs> and then become uh, the recipient of that care. But then when I left, that's when I realised that that wasn't normal, um, as in normal practice. And again, he was so, uh, so, so blessed on, on his shoulders and others um, to show me what's possible. So I went, I tra- left for a year. I went travelling and came back and got a job at Nottingham Trent University, set up the sports medicine degree strand um, and still kept my collaborative links with, with Oswestry. And then I started to realise, you know, when you're trying to integrate research and look at uh, uh, provision, that's where you, I really started to see these gaps where what I thought was, you know, standard or should mainly standard was not, not provided. But what it did do for me, showed me what's possible. And that's been like the bedrock of, I suppose, my approach thereafter. I left Trent after about seven years or so, went to, um, as I said, to to Scotland. And that's where I I saw this really, really stark gap between um, what I knew and I was teaching and I was doing and researching in terms of even the basics of neuromuscular physiology, rehabilitation, conditioning, and what was provided um, either preoperatively, which, is, which was nothing really, um, or postoperatively, including trauma, you can't have much preoperative intervention, but, but for TKRs and THRs, you can. And that was the biggest shock for me. Um, so some of the stuff that I thought was very basic um, and assumed, I made these assumptions which were completely wrong, which is where the systematic review came from, uh, considerations of the principles of resistance training for the management of neosteoarthritis, just to get this in the literature as well. What is it that's that's provided, delivered, um, recommended for management of NeoA before we even get to, to, to TKR? Um, and that's where I was like, right, okay, I had the space to think a little bit more. So I had two part-time positions, if you like, um, from two universities coming into this collaboration. Um, So I could, it's like I developed the fuller picture then to set up Get Back to Sport, albeit Get Back to Sport was was running already and it was called Get Back to Sport because people often would just ring my office uh, at Trent and go, I've hurt my knee uh, or I've had rehab, I've had ACL reconstruction, I can't get back to sport. So it's constantly a sports emphasis. But what I have done and continue to do is draw from the sports performance literature, basic practice and integrate that into rehabilitation because the, the neuromuscular musculoskeletal system is, you know, the same, whether it be an athlete or whether it be, uh, you know, um, a 70 year old, um, person just wants to walk the dog clearly there are going to be differences but however we still have nerves that conduct uh, impulses we still have activation we still have properties to um, or need for properties muscular properties to be fast responsive strong 
So why are we doing something different in terms of rehabilitating them or um, preconditioning them for, for surgery? Why are we doing this differently if we know these other things are important? And what are the basic ways in which we do this within uh, a performance setting? Now what we need to do is bridge that gap. So I sit in this gap. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a clinician, um, but I'm, I'm trying to pull these two things together to integrate what we know is best practice from, from interventions with with individuals that aren't injured and we want to perform optimally to those individuals that are maybe they're athletes, but maybe they're not athletes. And we're looking at that recuperation and things are important. And how do we then rehab and conditioning those to either help prevent future injury, to optimize their rehabilitation, to get their, to be able to just do ADLs, you know, that kind of thing. So that's when I, um, I went, two-footed straight into self-employment after after that time um, and uh, started to develop um, courses for, for, for clinicians to help, you know, share my knowledge with them and maybe some ideas on how we can uh, adapt exercise and, and to account for um, clinical considerations such that we can still deliver the best um, available interventions. Mm. And what was the, the vision then? So when you were setting that up, what did you have a specific goal in mind or, or a clear vision for it? Um, not really, <laughs> not really. As in, yes, but it was a long way off. So I still think about it now. The you know what I would really like to have um, is a physical entity, which is the get back to sport, if you will. Um, center where we have evidence-based practice we have a gym that's a rehabilitation gym and we have research going on there uh we have phd students so it's almost like tiers you got the the rehab with the physios that are upskilled and kind of doing the rehab with the patients patients have got somewhere to come where they don't feel intimidated or different but yet you know kind of in that that um gym environment we've got a a research level as well um, and maybe some of those participants are the patients down below. And then you've got the, a teaching entity as well at the top. So anybody out there with a few million wants to help. Up. <laughs> That's what I really wanted to, to engineer. And, and, you know, to, to some extent, we've, or I've achieved probably all of those things uh, independently. It's just not under a single umbrella or, or entity um but that would be you know that's where I was kind of the thing that I was kind of headed towards but I didn't really know at the start how that how that would look I just needed to see if there was an appetite really for this type of it's called strength and conditioning um people knew what strength and conditioning was although it's basically exercise prescription and neuromuscular physiology but that's not the fashionable <laughs> fashionable way of saying it so if there's an appetite for that um with clinicians you know, to help help with with rehab and and prehab or hab. <laughs> yeah, no, I think there is like we, we've you know Andrew McCall, he's a friend of mine, and he's uh, his course has done really well in terms of that sort of area. And I think that rehab piece is is massive, isn't it? In, in terms yeah. of actually pulling it all together, and there's you know there's 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 it's really it's definitely the way it's it's all going. Um, and so, like from, from your perspective, then it's sort of that's taking what you did at RJAH and sort of creating this and pulling it all together. Is that is that sort of your sort of aim to to replicate some of the things that you were doing there? 
Kind of, kind of. So the Get Back to Sport is the entity through which I deliver education and training. And I think that's probably coming on for seven years now. Um, and that's in person, but but online. So fortunately, I'd gone online the year before COVID. So that was a, a blessing. So I'm, I'm able to kind of scale that a lot more um, and develop more courses. So there's an idea of what I want an individual to have should they take all the courses uh, available in terms of assessment but not just assessment we're thinking about conditioning what we're aiming for blah 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 uh, so the education piece there but um it's all with the you know i want i want to help you know i want to help clinicians but ultimately they help the patients so the joint approach program is that direct to patient so that's a, an online multidisciplinary program for the management of neoa so it's integrating what i teach in terms of the exercise prescription alongside psychology so we call it mindset um you know the the behavior change thing is is massive so if, whilst i'd like to say all the amazing data we've got that show how much better pe people feel and function after they're doing the program is all down to my exercise prescriptions if they didn't do it and stick with it and change behavior you might as well put it in the bin so a person is a whole and complete being and that is that multidisciplinary thing that i experienced at rgh and then the clinical side with um my business partner mark branlow um integrating that with proper education um uh, and the psychology with, with serena simmons and putting it together in a in a package that's palatable, that's progressive, that addresses all the, the, the important things needed for somebody to be able to change effectively and make it stick and educate them without patronising them, without overwhelming them. It's a, it's a challenge to do online. Um, so that, I guess that's the the more uh, physical manifestation of that. And we're, you know, we're really excited. We did a, done a, a, a pilot service evaluation in the NHS, which... Um, one of my my tasks over Christmas, kind of loosely, was to finish um, one of the papers, which I didn't get round to. That's that's the end of the week. But yeah, we've um, we've got some great data, um, and we're really excited that we're going kind of direct to patient. Um, and so we're raising um, uh, capital um, just this next week um, to to expand um, further. So that's the I suppose the physical entity of that and we have that's got a research arm to it so i'm continuing to research and do a, you know um implement that into my education and training um that's always embedded in, into anything that i do research with joint approach so we're um as i said we've we've run the the trial we set it up so that it was it would mimic an rct we've got the quality data from that and what we'd love to be able to do at some stages is you know, potentially sponsor that uh, PhD or part PhD that would, would take that on or indeed some of the get back to sport education stuff. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it, I suppose it is creating that um, physical entity, albeit online, um, but direct, direct to page. I'm, I guess I'm putting my money where my mouth is now, aren't I? So yeah, no, definitely like in terms of coaching. Like how you took psychology and mental you know that behavior change piece is massive in terms of for clinicians but it probably people in general what do you see as the important non-clinical skills for them to be successful 
for who to be successful sorry for the clinicians so when you're teaching them in terms of like the actual the snc piece or you know the mm. exercise prescription or whatever it may be what do you see as being like the the sort of the non-clinical skills that makes a good good therapist or clinician that's a, a really good question and i'd say it's it's been able to have and develop that trust and rapport with with a patient so you can go in there and you can tell them what to do how to do it and this is the best thing that worked for you but but ultimately if they don't have that trust in you they don't believe you they don't have that buy-in then as I said before you might as well just put all your hard work in the bin because it's not going to get done um so that's something that I've learned along the way as well um and how you you relate to, to people so they feel heard they feel listened to um and that you're able to have that that they're able to answer questions and 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 them you know understanding why they're sat in front of you so something that, that Serena teaches a lot on Herbert behavior change courses and that we've Im- embedded into the joint approach program is like why is that person there and it's got to be more than um because my doctor sent me because that's that's not a there's, there's no intrinsic motivation for that if you can tap into something that's it's a little bit more meaningful and this is where the challenge comes so if you're in an NHS setting that that appointment might be quite short and might have to maybe you spend 90% of that appointment talking and listening but you've got the buy-in and you've got maybe two exercises you can give them rather than the other way around and that might be more beneficial so you know why are they in front of you what are they there for what are the things that they their motivations their barriers asking the pertinent questions listening to the answers and then, again, depending on how many sessions you have with somebody or the, the length of time you've got with somebody, can you anchor that to something? So that might be a, a short term um, goal, for example, um, you know, in the next few weeks, I'd like to be able to go for coffee with my friend. I've not been able to do that for blah, blah, blah. OK, so that's a goal. And then you've got that um then that shared decision making which are mi techniques aren't they motivational interviewing techniques where you co-create the solution again it enhances people's uh buy-in it um they um feel a lot more empowered as a part of the solution rather than you do this you know how many times have you experienced that where you're not even looked at as a a person you're just a, a name on a sheet or a number and you go okay what's the problem this and that okay do this that then you're the off you go like yes but this and there's there's no there's no scope for you to be a human so your propensity to engage in in something is going to be less than if you feel like you're listened to you trust that person that person understands you you feel like you're part of that development of the solution then the propensity to buy in and then the solution bit is then where your expertise comes from a you know if it's an exercise based um therapy if you like or or intervention that's where again your levels of expertise can then shine um, and come through where it's a, a nicely crafted one and maybe you only get to do a couple of things that, that you think are important out of the list of several but a couple are going to be better than none um, so if you can you know talk to people under make them feel important and that they're a person that you hear them you can anchor that that why to something that they value um and that they feel like they've co-created that solution i mean that would be in a very short description 
um, the, the key things. And that requires no clinical skills at all. That's about being being a, a person, which is, again, as we were saying before, <laughs> in NHS practices, so, so, so difficult to do. You've got to get through reams and reams of patients uh, within a ridiculous amount of time. But that's what Serena teaches, you know, all the, the, the strategies you might be able to, to pull out in those, those time pressured environments. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really interesting. And then in terms of like your own professional development, you're obviously doing a lot of work in like the, that space of, of uh, you know, physiology and all those different areas. But like what, like, from your own, do you read any books around, like you've mentioned a few things like people's why, mm-hmm. all that sort of thing. So do you, do you read outside of your subject matter as well? I do. I do. Um, less than, than I'd, I'd like to. So I have a, a folder uh, in in my mem- in uh, my email uh, inbox which is to read I'm sure everyone's got one and it's just stacking up so every Friday I try to do an hour low intensity on the bike and read at least one or two papers um, so it's an intensity where I'm, I'm not uh, and that's obviously not on the road that's on an ergometer otherwise that would be quite quite, quite challenging no wonder I got knocked off um, uh so yeah, around still, I guess in the area of of, of science, uh, something that I really really enjoy a lot is uh, statistics, and uh, um, by statistics, um, but again, time you know, it's, I guess it's it's similar uh, or similar entities. That's what my new course is on about. Actually, it's not statistics, but it's, it's as we've discussed before, measurement and understanding measurement. So what does that number mean? Does it mean anything at all, or actually you know how much confidence can you have in that measurement which is absolutely critical when we're taking any assessments of people um and then yeah certainly around uh behavior change and and um understanding understanding people um trying to (laughs) or what what might seek to um uh, jeopardize what what I'd like people to do you know how can I help influence people positively and <clears throat> that's not my wheelhouse I'll definitely kind of refer on for those things but I think there is it's a skill that we it would be beneficial throughout throughout life actually whether it's clinical or not clinical kind of being able to talk to people but hear people as well um, making those kind of positive um, relationships um so yeah, uh, I don't know if that answers the, the question. No, it I'm does. Just, no, I'm no, it does. About the stack of books along, on my <laughs> on my shelf that I haven't got through yet. Tim Spector, that's another good one. Um, Which one's that? Um, the new is it the new science of eating well? He's right. Uh, um, yeah, he's one of the most um, top cited, top one hundred citing scientists in in nutrition science. Um, so you know things like the microbiome and um, understanding uh, properties of food and um, how we respond to p- food and how these positively and negatively influences that's that's really interesting um, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's amazing <laughs> the more you read the more you realize you don't know isn't it oh no it is it just is a can of worms and I've got the same in terms of the books and Gabby she's always like right what books can we get rid of and I'm like no no keep all them um, so right, yeah. So you just got unearthing these uh, boxes of books. It's like, yeah, I need to need to dedicate some time. Um, but I'm conscious of time for you as well here. So just, uh, what would you, what would your advice be for people wanting to get into this area? Like any particular things that you would recommend? Um, 
that's a good question as well because this area didn't exist when when I got into it so what what is it that you know you kind of want to do is it that would be the first thing where where do you want to where do you see yourself working do you you know are you a clinician are you more interested in research are you interested in um coaching and and um strength and conditioning um and then that would be then how you'd you'd forge that path but the thing that i think transcends everything and across i can't think of a a discipline that it wouldn't be beneficial with is making connections and meeting people. Um, as I said before, I, I've been so tremendously lucky about you know how I've got to where I've I've got to. I put in a, a shit ton of hard work, but I've met some amazing people who, you know, utterly humbled to have met them and they've helped me. Um, and then. Also, we were, I was actually giving some advice to a friend's niece the other day. Um, make Almost make a nuisance of yourself, as in if there's somebody that you want to work with or go get some experience with or opportunities that you want to create, contact those people. And this is where it's made a difference when I've been uh, able to give opportunities. You always think of those people that, 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 that crop up um, more and more often. Um, and... And do it in a nice way. I'm not saying kind of badger them nastily, but if you're willing and you're um, interested and you are um, open to new opportunities and have ideas, and you know, don't you know, if, you, if you're really passionate about something, push for it, create those opportunities, um, and make a um, a good case for for yourself. People remember, um, and they remember negative things but they also remember positive things and certainly when I was working at for example in Trent there were were a a couple of students that absolutely stood out from the first year they knew that they wanted to do something um they wanted they got involved in every research project they got involved in you know loads of things what can I do coming to you for extra advice or extra work or that kind of thing they stood out there absolutely one of them is um a top leading scientist in Deloitte right now um earning i'm, I'm sure <laughs> oodles and noodles of cash making big um big decisions so yeah people create great um relationships mm, yeah definitely endorse that definitely endorse that. i'm really conscious of time for you as well here but we've not even touched on your powerlifting or like <laughs> your, your, your accident as well that you mentioned earlier on I don't know if you can, can you just, because I'm really interested in like your powerlifting background. Like how how, did, how long have you got, by the way? Um, yeah, I'm good for another few minutes. Yeah, good yeah for, cool. Yeah. Um, well, that kind of happened by accident, really. So um, my sporting, you call it a career? I don't know if it's a career. Um, I played kind of hockey and um, basketball at university. Um, and then um, also I played underwater hockey for Great Britain, uh, Octopush. Um, which was um, something I you know, particularly enjoyed. Um, but the the commitments to travelling to Crystal Palace every every week weekend, should I say, to train and um, the financial because uh, it's obviously not a, a, a funded sport, a well funded sport. The the uh, after done done that for a few years, it was is quite difficult to to sustain, particularly during my finals. So um, I. Uh, I guess I whet my my sporting appetite um, 
uh, a bit more basketball, managed to kind of play National League when I left university. Then I went traveling. And when I came back, I just kind of continued with stuff that I enjoyed doing, like kind of running. And I've always done weight training. And um, then, yeah, it, I've always been egged on by people in the gym. Oh, you should should go do this. Or you should get on bodybuilding stuff. I mean, like, <laughs> I'm not standing <laughs> in a bikini <laughs> oiled down on, on a stage. Uh, that's, so that's that's. Yeah, not particularly for me. In high heels, can you imagine me? Um, so I wasn't, I wasn't up for that. But I, I, I always like kind of lifting heavy stuff, and both me and, and my brother actually are pretty strong for our for our size. And then I started to do a bit more deadlifting, and then somebody said you should do a powerlifting competition. So um, this was when I was teaching at Trent, actually. So I did, and I qualified for uh, British, and then. Um, I did the British and I won the British <laughs> and then uh, and then I did another competition and qualified again but you know it's, it's something that it kind of I kind of fell into something that I, I didn't want to continue to do f- forever because just training for three lifts only is not something that I could really stick to because um, I enjoy doing other things as well and you might get that you know you certainly do get that conflict so I was running a lot and cycling a lot and stuff like that so um, yeah, just kind of kind of fell into it with with committed training, should I say? But yeah, it was enjoyable, um, but not something that I could yeah do do forever. You know, just doing a deadlift, a squat, and a and a, a bench press, and just just training around that for you mm-hmm. the whole time. Um, found yeah quite challenging, and the most challenging thing was making weight or not making weight the prospect of having to be a certain weight never had encountered that before I was always around 60 kilos and I was competing at that 60 kilo category so there wasn't really a threat that I wouldn't make it but oh my god the anxiety that 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 brought about like took some bloody scales down to where was it Bournemouth or whatever in the car it's like uh, yeah that's that's a something I'd not encountered before having played team sports and whatever you never kind of weigh in um I'm sure people who play combat sports and uh, take part in combat sports understand that but yeah that's a funny old thing so um yeah that's that's how it came about so I only did it for a, a probably in total competitively or total three competitions to be fair um which just happened to be um British champions and yeah there we go. Yeah, <laughs> that's, amazing. That's, and this is def- this is definitely the last question. So, what yeah. what would you what three things did you learn about yourself from when you had your accident and you're on like the recuperation? Um. So yeah, that was that was pretty awful. Um, it. I was go- I was going to say fragility of, but. That's, that's not quite right. So what I immediately was worried about and, and felt really upset about, really, really, really affected me, was feeling like I was going to be dispossessed of being able to do the things that I wanted to do. And I still do have limitations, but um, I'm so fortunate to, like when I was in hospital, I was messaging Joe Gibson and <laughs> a consultant friend of mine, and my, my clavicle's up here and they're telling me there's nothing wrong. Um, I was like, I'd never, I'd never um, 
you come across this kind of sternocovicular issue before. It's quite a, a rare thing that you maybe see in rugby or um, the like. So um, I, I quickly understood um, that it was something that there was a, a real kind of time, a need to uh, address quickly in terms of time. Um, and that not knowing the prognosis right there and then, there's a, a real significant threat to not being able to do things um, because of a, an instability there if it wasn't addressed properly. So I just I felt, you know, I wouldn't be able to take part in a good half of my life, you know, and that was, it was devastating, to be honest. And it seems silly when you think about it, you know, if other people are not physically active, who don't lift, swim, um, even picking my dog up, it wasn't, you know, they couldn't, I wouldn't be able to do things like that. Um, so if you don't kind of do those things and you'll be like, oh, what's the issue? But if you do, it's like a whole part of my life could have gone. Um, and so what did I learn? Uh, learn to be even more grateful than I was. So I've had some, <laughs> some other injuries and other things happen where you kind of you know the you you are grateful for every moment that you have here but um so the gratitude that that I was actually here because there was the potential that I couldn't have been you know immediately after impact and then also for and it's a struggle as well in in sometimes you know when you think I'm just so frustrated but actually I have a body that works well and I'm able to push it and be grateful for that too so so many people done I'm, I'm so lucky um and grateful to um everybody that helped me along the way those people i just mentioned plus amazing surgeon graham tiddley strong cambridge and gratitude to have had those connections as well because if i didn't then i don't think for one minute i'd be in the position that i am you know if it was left to that routine nhs which is amazing at life preservation but an MSK, rare MSK condition, I don't think I'd be in the same position now. Um, so definitely gratitude, definitely um, trying to get that, you know, what's it all for? Work that work-life balance um, a little better. I'm struggling with that. <laughs> so, you know, because you know what it's like when you want to keep pushing, but, but you know, trying to consciously take a, a step back and just go okay so what's important and put things into perspective um so th those two things really um and I, I don't think well as i said i've had several several um injuries before where i've, I've realized how how grateful i am but this this is on another level um to you know so to everybody that helped me and the fact that i'm actually here <laughs> so uh yeah don't know if that yeah no that's good that's i think that's a, that's a pretty good and intense and genuine answer so yeah i think it's uh, definitely it's not always easy it's easy to say i'll oh, be grateful for something but it is it's it is massive isn't it to come back from something like that and be able to do what you can do is it's, it's great if you can be be grateful about it mm, yeah i'm mm. uh Happy, happy to be here and, and blessed to have, you know, to know the people that I do. So, 
Brilliant. No, well, I think that's a great, great note to finish on. So thank you for staying on a bit longer and thanks for sharing your story. And yeah, I've really enjoyed it. So likewise, well, my pleasure. It's nice to, uh, although <laughs> I say it's nice to talk about something different, but it's also <laughs> egotistical to talk about myself. Forget that. <laughs> no, no, it's been, it's been really good to know. Claire, really appreciate your time and uh, I'll look forward to seeing you soon. Yeah, likewise, Andy. Thanks. Take care. Thank you.